my name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new, excited that you're with us today. It's my honor and privilege to unpack and study the Word of God with you and for you today. Um, if you have your Bible, you can head over to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we'll get there eventually, Ephesians chapter 2. We are in a, we're starting today a four-week series on marriage that we're just calling Fixer Upper. And so all of you are here because... Your marriage is a fixer-upper, right? I'm kidding. Don't, you don't have to say that out loud or post that on Facebook or anything. But you're here because you want to hear about marriage and what God has to say about that. And we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, but my wife, Erin, and I, um, I'm married to uh, the beautiful woman that was up on the, this side of the stage singing curly hair. Uh, that's my bride. My wife, Erin, and I, we don't have a, a perfect marriage, uh, but I believe we do have a strong marriage and a good marriage, a marriage that's founded on Christ. And, and I married like way up, all right? Like you, if you saw her, you know. Like you saw her, you see me, you're like, What? I married way up. I know I married way up. Like she, I totally outpunted my coverage on this. And she is gracious and loving and beautiful and best of all has a very short memory, which has been great for me. It's just been great. And so uh, I married way, way up. There's a ton of laughter in our marriage, as you can imagine. And, but even so, um, if you've been married long, you know there are things that will just come into your life and come into your marriage that will just test even the best of marriages, right? Even the best of marriages will be tested from time, you know, here and, here and there, right, by, by these really, really hard things. Like, for instance, um, shopping, right? <laughs> shopping is, is hard on your marriage. And I'm not talking about, like, just going to the grocery store, although that is comical in my marriage. Um, Aaron and I, when we go to the grocery store, uh, it's, it's weird. Uh, I am a list person, and so I've got a list. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go in, get the list, get out. We don't get anything off the list. Otherwise, the list is like, this isn't anarchy. We're an animals, right? Like, let's do the list. So I go in with a list. Aaron goes in. She has a list. It means nothing. <laughs> All right? She wrote some things down. It means absolutely nothing. And it's, it's comical when we do that. But really, I'm talking about those full-day shopping trips to the outlet mall or whatever. And those will test your marriage because men and women are different in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to shopping. Men will go into a store, and we know what we want, and we just go get it. Like, we're not going to try it on because that would be crazy, right? And so we're going to... We're going to get it, pay for it, get out. Women will go in a lot of times, and they'll end up with one, one outfit that they, they wanted to buy, but they'll try on like seven outfits in order to figure out that one. Women will do looking. They'll do window shopping. For men, window shopping means you go to Home Depot and you buy a window. That's what that means. <laughs> and so sometimes men and women, they can be different. And I, I usually do pretty good for about an hour on those, on those shopping trips, about an hour. Uh, about two hours in, I'm looking at the clock. Three hours in, I'm planning my escape. I'm like talking to one of the kids, like, fake a stomach ache. Let's get out of this thing quick. For the good, for the good of humanity, please act like you're sick. I'm planning my escape. Hour four, I'm starting to think I may die on this trip. I may not make it out alive. Like, what happened to Jake? He really seemed like he was healthy and stuff. And Aaron's like, I don't know. I mean, I took him shopping and... He died of exposure <laughs> to shopping. 
Shopping can be one of those things that tests even the best marriage. Another thing that really tests marriages is, is budgeting. How many of you love to budget? Is anybody sitting here like, I love, not only love to budget, let, put your, let, no, put your hand down. Come on, put your hand down. <laughs> let, me, let me get it out. Let me go. How many of you love, I love budgeting too, by the way. I'm a budget guy. How many of you love to budget with your spouse? Anybody look forward to that? Like, just like budget day. Can't wait to talk to my wife or my husband about budgeting and money. Most people don't like to budget with their spouse because in most marriages, there's one person who cares about the budget, thinks that money is not limitless, and wants to somehow figure out how to spend it wisely. And there's another person in the marriage that thinks that money is limitless and is just spending it like it's never going to end, right? And so it makes it, there's a test there, budgeting. And that's why some of you avoid both of these things. You avoid budgeting together and you avoid shopping together. And that's a bad combination, right? How's that working for you? Yeah, probably not very well. You need to figure that out. Just throwing that out there. You know what else tends to test even the best marriages? House hunting. If you've, if you own a house or you know, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. If you, some people say when they build, I've never built a house, but if you, if you build a house, like that's even a bigger test, they say, of your marriage. So you want to make sure your marriage is on good footing before you choose to build a house. That was for somebody specific. I don't know who that was for, but you just want to make sure that that, that is the case. Um, it's a test on your marriage, house hunting. When we lived in Green Bay, uh, we were looking to buy a house and it was definitely a thing. Like, we wanted to make a good decision. You know, we were going to, like, live there and have our kids there. I mean, we were going to have our kids in the hospital, but you know what I mean. We were going to raise our kids there. Like, you do your home birth thing. That's you. I go to the hospital for that kind of stuff. But we, we were going to raise our kids there, and it, it, we're going to live there a long time. It was a big decision, right? And, and as we go through this Fixer Upper series, I'm going to share with you over the next few weeks some about my marriage, some things that we, I think we do well and some things that I don't think we do very well. But here's the first thing you need to understand as we get into this. My wife Erin and I are very, very different. Like we are, if you know us, you know that we just are, we're different. Like you guys who married somebody who's just like you, I don't know your world, all right? I don't know your world because I married somebody who is very, very different than, than I am. And we've come to find out over the years um, that many times, maybe most times, we will approach things from totally opposite angles, totally opposite places. Sometimes we'll end up at the same conclusion, but from totally different directions. Other times, we'll find out that we are just on different planets when it comes to this decision or, or this way of thinking or whatever it is, and we have to work hard to get on the same page. That's why I ask my wife, Erin, for her opinion constantly because I know that what she tells me is probably going to be something that I have yet to think about that I have yet to consider because she thinks differently than I think about ju just about everything all right she says she has her own logic I tell her that there is only one kind of logic my logic I'm kidding don't say that to your wife I didn't say that to her just calm down I didn't say that to her I'm just kidding so we have to figure out how to get on the same page because we're so different. So when we were looking for a house to buy in Green Bay a bunch of years ago, 
It was comical at times because we would have these conversations about what we wanted in a house. Then we'd go look at a house, and it'd be like we were two strangers who happened to show up at the house at the same time. And it was if there was video cameras, we would just we we could just laugh at this because we, these conversations were just back and forth. Like we'd rank houses after we saw a few, and and after we'd see a house, she'd go, "Man, that was that was an awesome house. That's probably number one on my list. Wasn't it great?" And I'd be like, "Oh my gosh." I don't want to be overly dramatic because I don't, you know, I'm just not a dramatic person. <laughs> but I may die a slow and painful death if I have to live in that house even for a day. So that's off my list. Or I would say, wow, this house was great. That house, we, that, that's the top of my, let's go put an offer on it. And she'd be like, what? That house didn't have anything we wanted. It wasn't in the right neighborhood, and it is literally falling down. The ceiling is falling down in that one room. And I'd be like, yeah, but it was so cheap. Let's go put an offer on it, right? We were just totally, totally on different planets. If you watch the Fixer Upper show or show like it, you know that this is a thing, right? They always have his wants and her wants, and they try to figure out how to find the best house. This was a test on our marriage. But we did find a house. It just took like five years. I'm kidding. But when you're buying a house or building a house, you have to realize that things will never be perfect, right? They'll never be perfect. There will always be things that need fixing. Things will happen to the house that you can't you can't keep from happening. Things will fall apart. As years go by, you're going to have to put intentional effort into maintaining your house, updating your house, renovating your house, or things are going to go bad, right? You'll have to maintain things if you want the house to last. Really, every house is a fixer-upper eventually, right? Every house is a fixer-upper. And listen, it's the same with marriage. Every marriage is a fixer-upper. There are no perfect matches or easy relationships or easy marriages. Every marriage is a fixer-upper. They all have their ups and downs. So when we buy a house, we know that we have to fix things, right? We know there'll be maintenance and upkeep and unforeseen expenses. No one goes into home ownership thinking that signing that contract on signing day, on contract day, is, is the end of your worries, right? Like you buy a house, you're like, sign, done. Don't have to do anything else. It's the opposite. We sign that contract going, this is the beginning. That's why they make you sign like 67 places, right? You're like, sign here, sign here, sign here, sign here, sign It's because it's the beginning of something. You're going to now have this responsibility. You're going to have to take care of this house. And yet, a lot of us approach marriage that way. As if the wedding day is the goal and the end. We don't plan. We aren't intentional. We don't call the experts when things go bad. We just assume it's all going to work out. Why? Because we love each other. What? I mean, this doesn't make sense. No, it's going to be fine, Pastor, because we, we love each other. No, it's fine. It will get through it because we're meant to be. We're meant to be. It'll be fine. You know what that thinking actually produces? It makes us think we don't love each other when things go bad. 
When we come up against something we can't see our way out of, we start to think, okay, well, maybe we don't love each other. When things start to go to hell in our marriage, we go, okay, maybe we're not meant to be. And so that way of thinking actually produces not security, but insecurity in our marriages. I mean, isn't it amazing that we put more time, effort, and planning into our house than our marriage? It's not a good plan, beloved. It's just not a good plan. I mean, how's that working for you? Able to make everything work because love is all you need? Having no problems, able to, doing well, just not even looking at the problems in your marriage because it's meant to be? I mean, how's that working for you? Yeah. I mean, they call it a marriage license, and maybe we should start to change that. Because it's not like a driver's license, right? It's not like a driver's license. When you get that marriage license on your wedding day or you send off for that marriage license on your wedding day, it's more like a driver's permit, right? It's more, more like a permit. Like, you don't know what you're doing. The state is just saying, good luck. Figure it out. It's just the beginning. It's not the end. It doesn't mean you're an expert. It means the opposite. Amen. <laughs> Let me tell you why we're doing this Fixer Upper series on marriage. Two reasons. First of all, marriage affects everybody. It affects kids, adults, family, extended family, friends. But not only that, marriage, the state of marriage, what we believe about it, how we treat it, what we think about it. It really affects society as a whole, right? I mean, it's a big deal. It affects whole generations. It affects our culture. It affects our nature. It affects our, I mean, our nation. It affects our world. So I think, I think we should talk about it. I mean, how many of you are married, want to be married, used to be married, or know somebody in any of those categories? Yeah, that's everybody, right? How many of you won't raise your hand no matter what I say? How many staff members in here won't raise your hand no matter, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to point anybody out. Yeah, it affects everybody. So we're talking about it because of that. The second reason is this. God cares about your marriage. This is why we're doing this. This is why we're talking through the Fixer Upper series. God cares about your marriage. And I know it may not feel like it to you. Maybe you're coming in here from a desperate place. You can't imagine that God cares about your marriage. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe you're only here because you heard we were doing a series on marriage. Maybe you're in here going, I'm in a desperate place, and this is my last shot. If this doesn't fix things, if this doesn't improve things, if we can't figure this out, then I'm out. This is it. Last straw. Maybe you've struggled for years, and you have very little hope that God cares about your marriage. But he does. 
He does. God cares about your marriage, its health, its foundation, the joy you find in it, what it produces for you and for your kids and those around you, how you use it for his kingdom and for his glory. He cares about that. God cares about your marriage. I know that because the Bible is not silent about marriage, not even close. There is a lot in the Bible about marriage. Stuff that's very foundational and very spiritual, but also things that are very application-driven, very practical. But let me just go ahead and give you the end here. I won't bury the lead. If your marriage is struggling, if you're desperate, I believe there is a God in heaven who has given us his Son and his Holy Spirit. And he not only cares about your marriage, but he can fix it. He can redeem it. He can restore it. He can strengthen it. Listen, it's important that we start this series with the right frame of mind. We're going to talk about some very practical things. I'm going to give you some action steps to apply in your marriage. Next week, we're going to talk about weathering storms. And specifically, we're going to talk about how do we fight? How do we fight as a, mar- as a married couple? Because if you're looking for a marriage that doesn't have arguments and fights in it, you're, you're not going to find it. You'll find it next to the unicorn down the street. Like you're not going to find it. And so we got to talk about how we do that. Well, how do we get through that? We're going to talk very practically about that. The week after that, we're going to talk about what happens when your marriage gets shifted. What happens when things change? Seasons of life change. How do we do that? We're going to talk about in the last week how to build our marriages to last. We're going to do some very practical things. But listen, we are not a self-help church, and I am not a self-help pastor. That's not, if you're here for that, it's just not going to go well for you because that's not us at all. In your life, you will face many different kinds of struggles and trials and difficulties, many problems. That's because the world that we live in is torn apart by what the Bible calls sin. Not just out there, but in here too, in you. Your heart, your mind, your desires, your wants, your, your nature, it's torn apart by sin and self-centeredness. It's messed up. Every struggle you and I have in our marriage, big or small, is because of sin. It's because at the core of our nature, there is sin and there is self centeredness. And the only answer to sin, listen, beloved, the only answer to sin is Jesus Christ. That's it. I don't have anything else. I don't have any other help for you. I don't have 10 steps. I don't have, if we're talking about sin being defeated, all I've got is one answer, and that is Jesus Christ. Think of it this way. If you pulled a Dr. Strange and you had the eye of Agamotto. Just go with me for a second. And it had the time infinity stone in it. 
and you went back into time and you looked at all the different probabilities, all the different ways that our battle with sin could go over the history of creation and into the future, you looked at all these probabilities and you came out and you said, whoa, I looked at 70,539,262 probabilities. And we were like, okay, but how many of them end with us winning? How many of us end with us beating sin? You'd say only one. Without Jesus, sin wins every time. I don't have another answer to sin but Jesus Christ. So in this series, I'm going to give you some practical advice from the Bible and from my experience to help you in your marriage, but it's all with the understanding that the only hope we have is in Jesus Christ. This isn't self-help. This isn't me saying, you can do it. This isn't me going, here's three things, just do these three things, and you'll be fine. This isn't me saying, love is all you need. No, you need Jesus. I need Jesus. We, in our marriages, need Jesus. So really, this first week, what we're talking about is the foundation. When Aaron and I started looking for houses in Green Bay a bunch of years ago, we made the mistake of focusing on things that didn't really matter. Um, We just didn't know what we were doing, and I still don't know what I'm doing most of the time. I'm like, you know, have three kids, trying to raise them, leading a large and growing church, counseling people, stewarding and shepherding souls, all of that. Sometimes I feel like I'm doing really well, and then, like, I forget to get my oil changed, and I have to Google how to register to vote. (laughs) And then I find out, like, carbs are fattening. Like, what's that about? Right? When did that happen? Right? And so sometimes I feel like I'm an adult. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I kind of look around for an adult to ask about something. I'm like, oh, wait, I am an adult. And then so then I look for an older adult, you know, like an adultier adult. <laughs> I ask them the question. And so when it comes to house stuff, man, I am not a builder or an engineer or handy or even that smart of a guy. I will lose in the fix-it game. You will win. If that means you get my man card, come and get it, baby. <laughs> All right? Because I, I, I just, I've learned. I just can't. It's not part of my thing. I don't, I'm not Mr. Fix-It, which is, has been fun in my marriage uh, because Aaron's dad, David, he's, he's very Mr. Fix-It. He can fix anything. And so when we first got married, Aaron just couldn't, she couldn't get it, like that I couldn't fix things. Not that I wouldn't fix things, not that I didn't want to fix things, but that it was better for everyone involved if I just didn't even try. She just didn't get that. And so she, we would joke about, like, hey, your dad is Superman, and I'm not. Like, I'm sorry. Just call him. Like, let's just call him over. And we would joke about that. We still joke about it today. She got over it, all right? She stuck with me, all right, even though I can't fix things. Also, she's, like, Mrs. Fix-It, so she can fix things, so she handles that. But when we were looking for houses in Green Bay, we didn't have our dads around to help us. And so we got a couple of the elders of the church that I uh, pastor, two of the elders of the church that I pastored to, to come with us, um, adultier adults, right? So we got those, I, we got the elders, I call it eldering up, we just eldered up, all right? We went to the house and they helped us and so we would be looking at a house we were excited about, um, then we would take these 
two men over to check it out with all this experience and wisdom and, and all that. And, and they would look, they would walk in, they'd just be like, mm, uh-uh. Mm-mm. They'd be walking around the walls. Ooh, gosh. I'd be like, what are you looking at? <laughs> that wall looks great. That's a great wall. Uh, no. And then we'd be like, what? We doesn't I like Aaron to say something like, but I like the blinds and the and the paint and the fixtures and whatever else. Like, the location is great. And they'd say, none of that matters. I'd be like, whoa, guys, calm down. <laughs> none of that matters. And then they'd take us down into the basement to look at the what? The foundation. That was the first stop for them. They wanted to go look at the foundation. And a lot of houses we liked looked good on the outside, but the foundation was messed up. So we had to change the way we looked at houses. When one of us would get excited about paint and carpet and whatever else, the other one would remind the first one that, hey, that's not what we're looking at. That's not what matters, right? We started to call it the bones of the house instead of the skin. So we would look at electrical and plumbing and the roof and definitely the foundation. Look at um, Ephesians 2 with me. I told you I'd get there. I'm finally there. Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul is writing about that battle with sin that I was mentioning earlier. And he's talking about this hostility that we have between us and God, but also between Jews and non-Jews or Gentiles. And he's talking about how Jesus has come and he's preaching peace to this hostility, to this battle, to this war that you're waging against sin. And so he says this in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 17. And he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now look at verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, the household of God. So he's likening this to a family, to a household, to a marriage. But this household is, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the what? Corner. Ever say cornerstone. The cornerstone. So this idea that Jesus is the cornerstone, it's not just in Ephesians 2. It shows up in Acts 4. Jesus says it about himself in Matthew 21. And really all of these places, Ephesians 2, Acts 4, Matthew 21, they're all pointing back to to what's called this messianic prophecy, this prophecy about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 28. So they're talking about Jesus being this cornerstone. And the idea here is that the cornerstone is the first and most important stone in the foundation of a building. Like without it, the whole thing would fall down. Everything depends on Jesus being this cornerstone. Now look at verse 21. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The whole structure grows from Jesus, the cornerstone. 
You and I, your family, your marriage, my marriage, is this dwelling place for God by the Spirit, being built together from Jesus the cornerstone. Now, this passage is talking about your soul. It's talking about your salvation. Jesus speaking peace to your war with Satan and sin. It's talking about God making a way for you to get back to him through Jesus and Jesus only. But it applies to your marriage too. Jesus has to be the foundation. Jesus has to be the cornerstone. Christ is the only foundation that will hold your marriage up. Christ is the only foundation that will hold your marriage up. It doesn't matter how much you like each other. It doesn't matter how alike you are. It doesn't matter how much you love your kids. It doesn't matter how much you both like the same hobbies or the same vacation spots or the same food or the same whatever, music. It doesn't matter. None of that matters if Jesus Christ is not the cornerstone, the foundation of your marriage. You don't, have to, you don't have to trust me on this. Just look around. That other stuff doesn't last. It's not a good foundation. Marriages crumble because they're based on that other stuff. They're based on kids that are only in your house for a fraction of your marriage. They're based on, well, we like to go hiking together. Okay, that's great, but it won't sustain your marriage, right? Just look at it. Just look around. That stuff doesn't last. It doesn't fix what's broken in you. It doesn't, does nothing to fix your sin problem, your self-centeredness. It does nothing to build you into a husband that can live out sacrificial love or into a wife that can honor and respect her husband. It does nothing to help you as a spouse give up your needs, sacrifice your needs for the other. It does nothing to that. Jesus has to be the cornerstone. Christ is the only foundation that will hold your marriage up. Let, let me give you some practical action steps here. Some things to do in order to begin making Christ the foundation, the cornerstone of your marriage. And if you, you could also use this list, four things, this list uh, to, to kind of measure your, your situation. Use it as a measuring stick to see if you are, in fact, making Christ the cornerstone and the foundation like you hope to be. So four things. There are more, but here's four. Number one, know and live by what the Bible says about marriage, not what the world says about marriage. Know and live by what the Bible says about marriage, not what the world says about marriage. This is the biggest one of the four. God's design for marriage is under attack in our world, you shouldn't be surprised by that. God's design for anything and everything, creation itself, is constantly under attack by our very real enemies, Satan and sin, right? And so you shouldn't be surprised by that. God's design is under attack. So you have to be careful. You have to be careful. It's easy to get off base. It's easy to start looking for truth in the wrong places. There is one truth and that is God's truth. Truth is found in Christ. So read the word of God. 
to understand what the truth is when it comes to marriage. Don't base your marriage on what your mom says or your friend says or some great teacher you heard once said or what society or your political party says. Base it on what the Bible says. Then live that out. No one said making Jesus the foundation of your life or your marriage would be easy. This will be difficult. But you have to live it out. So that's number one. How do we make Jesus Christ the foundation, the cornerstone of our marriage? Four things. Number two, create and maintain spiritual habits together. Create and maintain spiritual habits together. Barna did a study back in the 80s uh, that looked at marriages and the, the relationship between marriages and praying daily. And here's what they found. They found that husband and wives who pray daily together have a 1% chance of getting a divorce. Let me say that again. Barna did a study in the 80s that found that couples, married couples, who pray together daily had less than a 1% chance of getting a divorce. Isn't that crazy? But also good news? (laughs) Then... There was another study done just recently, the last couple years, by the Journal of Marriage and Family that showed that there's this high association between marital satisfaction and doing devotional activities at home together, including Bible reading and prayer on a regular basis. So if you want Christ to be the foundation of your marriage, start reading the Bible with your spouse every day. Start praying together regularly. That's a good start. If your marriage, like if you didn't walk in today with like perfect marriage, no issues, no arguments, no problems, if that's not you, if it is you, let's talk afterwards, okay? But if, if it's not you, if you didn't walk in with a perfect marriage, then talk to your spouse and be honest with yourself about whether you're doing this or not. Are you doing devotional things together on a daily basis or at least on a regular basis, reading the Bible and praying? If not, then just try to start that today. Now, this will be difficult because we have a real enemy who wants to divide you, who wants to keep you from doing it. Why do you think this is so hard? If you've ever tried it before, like why is it so hard to spend 10 minutes a day with my spouse reading the Bible and praying? Why is that so difficult? It's because we're not fighting just something that's neutral. It wars against, right? The world itself is warring against us. Our nature is warring against us. So this will be difficult. You need God's help. You need to pray for God's help. And you'll have to persevere through the difficult until it is a habit. So that's number two. Number three, be involved at a high level in a local church together. Be involved at a high level in a local church together. You need help with your marriage. If you don't think you need help with your marriage, man, I'd love to talk to you about that because I need help with my marriage. I think we all need help with our marriages. I think we all need help with following Christ in a way that honors him, that honors God. I think we all 
need help. And that help comes from getting around like-minded believers in Jesus. Not just watching online or reading the Bible every now and then, but being challenged by other believers. Being challenged and encouraged by a pastor that you call yours on a weekly basis. But not just that. Not just that. This is about jumping in together. This is about serving together at a local church. This is about going to life group. Man, life groups are where this happens at Great Oats. You can come in and and I can kind of preach to you or whatever. You can say hi to a few people and leave. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about doing community, doing life together, being challenged by other people, encouraged by other believers. Breaking this stuff down that we're talking about on Sunday morning at a different location, around a coffee table or something like that. This is not just showing up on Sunday mornings. I'm talking about really jumping in. I can't stress this enough. God has created the church to be this place where all of these things connect together. Where all of this happens, where you're encouraged to take your next step towards God, where you're encouraged in your marriage, where you're taught godly principles in the Bible. It's this connecting point. It's this connecting point. Jumping into a local church, it's like the fuel that helps all these other things we're talking about happen. It'll do much more for your marriage, much more for your family. Much more for your kids than traveling every other weekend to some new place, going to games on Sunday mornings, sleeping in, whatever it is you do on Sunday mornings other than go to church. I promise you, this will do more for your family than any of those things. So that's three. Number four, how do we, how do we make Jesus the cornerstone of the foundation? Four action steps. Number four, seek out Regular opportunities to strengthen your marriage in Christ. Seek out regular opportunities to strengthen your marriage in Christ, okay? So what I'm talking about here is not just waiting for opportunities to come to you, but actually intentionally and actively seeking those things out. So don't just go out of town on a trip together, but go out of town to a marriage conference and strengthen your marriage. Don't just read a book Read a book about marriage together. Maybe do that once a year. Read a book together about marriage. A good example of this kind of an opportunity is what we're doing at the end of this series. We're going to provide one of these opportunities, okay? This series itself is an opportunity, but after our four weeks in Fixer Upper, November 30th, we're going to have a Couples Connect event right here in this place. There'll be food. I think we're going to have a Red Robin Burger Bar. So I thought you'd come just for that, right? And so we are, we, we've lowered the price because we just, we're sowing, we're subsidizing it. We want to sow into your marriage. We believe that God wants to strengthen your marriage. So it's super cheap. And so we just want you to come and, and be encouraged. We'll have a panel of pastors and wives and other married people up here answering questions that you have throughout this series. There's more information in your bulletin, but I will say this. We'll be around tables, so we'll fill up really fast. So we don't have near enough room. We've got three services now. We don't have near enough room for everybody. So you need to go register soon if you want to strengthen your marriage. This, that's a, strengthen your marriage at this event. That's a uh, good example of what I'm talking about with these regular opportunities, seeking these things out. As far as books go, if you haven't already um, read these books, 
Maybe you grab Mingling of Souls by Matt Chandler or Love and Respect by Egrich off of Amazon, and maybe that's one of the things you do at the beginning of next year, January, you start reading that book together. So four things to do. There are more, but start with these four. Focus on more application, not more knowledge. If you do these four, I'd say you're ahead of 90% of Christian couples if you would just do these four things, begin to do these four things in making Christ the foundation of your marriage. And listen, if you're looking at your marriage and you're like, we didn't, we didn't build it on the right foundation. We haven't built it on Jesus as the foundation. We haven't made Christ the foundation and the cornerstone. Have you ever bought a house with a bad foundation? I hope not. But has your house maybe ever, have you ever had a house that, that developed foundation issues? If you, if you did, if you've gone through that, you know it's very difficult to fix. Almost impossible, right? Almost impossible. But if you watch the Fixer Upper shows, you know that it, in fact, can be fixed. You just need to get some help. You just need to get some outside help, some experts to come in and help you fix the foundation of your marriage or of your house. And also remember this, what looks impossible to you and to me from the outside is possible for our miracle-working God, right? What looks impossible to us is actually possible for God. Listen, if you've spent years building on a faulty foundation, that does not mean things can't be fixed. But listen, it means that things can't be fixed by you. You need outside help. You need God. You need God's help to fix the foundation of your marriage. You need supernatural help from our supernatural God. So just ask for it. Just pray, repent, ask for forgiveness, and move in a different direction by beginning to do these four things we talked about. Get some help from a pastor or somebody you look at. They've been married for 30-plus years, and they're doing it right, and they've got a foundation of Christ in their marriage. Get help from them. And if you haven't already done this yet, if you haven't given your life specifically, individually, over to Christ If Jesus is not the foundation of your life, then maybe you pray about that. Maybe you start there. Maybe you ask him to transform your family, but starting with you. Listen, Ephesians 2 said that this whole thing is built on Jesus as the foundation, as the cornerstone. But not everybody accepts that, right? Not everybody accepts that. In fact, in the Bible... More times than not, when it talks about Jesus being the foundation or the cornerstone, it's talking about Jesus being rejected as the cornerstone. Matthew 21, Peter in Acts 4, Isaiah 28, it's all talking about the builders rejecting Jesus as the cornerstone. Listen, when we were looking for houses, Aaron and I passed on a few houses that looked good on the outside. The paint was nice, the decor was nice, the location was good, but the foundation was crumbling because all that other stuff doesn't matter if the foundation falls apart, right? When you buy a house, 
you have a choice. When you build a house, you have a choice. What kind of foundation will you have? It's the same with marriage. Aaron and I are very different in a lot of ways, like I said. But there's one thing that we are completely in sync on. We're solid in this. The foundation of our marriage is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We made that choice before we were married, and it's never changed. And I'd much rather build my marriage on that than our likes and dislikes, right? Than our hobbies, than our kids that, again, are only in our house a fraction of the years we are married. I'd much rather build it on Christ as the foundation than our collective love of stamp collecting and hiking and guacamole. (laughs) Right? I'd much rather build it on Jesus as the foundation. So the question becomes, as you build your marriage, what will be your foundation? Listen, beloved, it's not a choice between a hundred things, not a hundred options here, really just two. God has made marriage to work one way and one way only. So your choice is will you accept Jesus as the cornerstone or will you reject him as the cornerstone? That's your choice. And as far as your marriage goes, it's the most important choice you'll ever make. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the cornerstone. That you are the cornerstone. That you hold everything up. That we grow the the whole, all of our lives, our marriage, our family, our faith. It all grows from you As the cornerstone, we have hope for our future, for our marriage, for our eternity, because you are the cornerstone. Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus. God, I pray for those in this room who, as we talk about you being the cornerstone of our marriage, have never made you or have never accepted you as the cornerstone of their lives, as the foundation of their lives, as the foundation of their faith and their future those who have yet to surrender to you, those who have yet to give their lives over to you completely in a real way, I pray for those people right now. I ask that you would, Holy Spirit, help them overcome obstacles and doubts and questions and bitterness and unforgiveness and pride, self-centeredness that would hold them back, hurt, Whatever it is, God, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help them overcome that right now, that they would make a real and eternal decision for you. As we keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed, if that's you, I know you came to talk about marriage, and I I hope that God will strengthen your marriage from today's message. I hope that you got something for your marriage to talk about, but... If that's you, if you have yet to give your life over to Jesus, as we keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed, if you have yet to accept Jesus as the cornerstone, as the foundation of all that is, 
then just, and, and you want to, you want to give your life over to him, then just begin to pray in your own words. You don't need to speak Latin to do this. You don't have to have some special language or training. You don't have to speak King James, Old English. You just, in your own words, you just say, Jesus, I need you. I accept you as the cornerstone. I want to. I want to base my life on you. I want to submit to you and surrender to you. I I don't know how that's going to look. I don't know what I need to do, God, but I need your help. I want this. I have this desire. And just ask the Holy Spirit to make you new, transform you into a new creation from this day forward. If that's you, I want to give you this moment to make this decision. I designed this message specifically to be about marriage as we kick off our Fixer Upper series, but also to give you a chance to accept Jesus as the cornerstone. So if that's you in this room, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, if you want to give your life over to Jesus for real today, I just want to pray for you. So if that's you, would you just lift your hand up really quick so I can pray for you? Anyone in this room, you'd say, yeah, I want to give, I see those hands. Yeah, anyone else? You'd say, I want to give my life over to Jesus and accept him as the cornerstone. Yeah, I see that hand over there. Just hold those hands up as I pray. Jesus, in your name, I pray that you would put a hedge of protection around those that have their hands raised, those that would accept you as the cornerstone today. I pray that the seed that is planted today of your word would find good soil in their hearts, that it would go deep, that it would take root, and that eventually it would bear fruit. I pray that it would go on from here, not be just a today thing, not just a one-time thing, but it would go on from here. God, that this decision would transform their lives, that you would transform their lives. God, I trust you with that. And now, God, I, I turn my attention towards our our marriages in this room, and I just ask that you would strengthen them. I ask that you would help us make you the foundation of our marriages. I ask that when we leave this place, we would grow together instead of farther apart. God, that you would draw us to you and to yourself, Jesus. I ask that. And I also ask, as always, that whatever is of me today and this sermon would quickly fall to the wayside and be forgotten, but whatever is of you, God, would stick with us, hold fast to our hearts and minds, and never be forgotten. We love you, Jesus. We put all this into your hands and trust you. And it's in your name that we pray. Everybody said, amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's do this. If your spouse is here, if you need to move around to find them, if they're serving or something, you can do that. If you need to switch seats so that you can get next to them, get next to your spouse, hold their hand, put your arm around them, whatever. And I want to pray. I want to say my prayer over you and your marriage. So here's my prayer for our marriages at Great Oaks. May our marriages be protected by the power of the Holy Spirit. May our views on marriage be based on Bible truth. And may they be founded on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone alone. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. We're going to sing one last song. If you would like prayer, we'll have prayer at our sides, prayer workers at our sides that would love to pray for you today. As always, I encourage you to talk this over with your life group. I mentioned life groups earlier. If you're not in one, 
Stop at Connection Central. We'll get you plugged in. Your marriage needs that kind of an atmosphere, that kind of an environment. And then as always, don't let this stop with you. Just like you've been helped to take your next step towards God, so go out and help others take their next steps towards God. Open the Bible with somebody. Talk about Ephesians 2 this week. Talk about Jesus as the cornerstone. Talk about marriage. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. Thank you so much for coming. We'll see you next week for week two in our Fixer Upper series.